what am I fostering, not just in the picture of what my kids have of me, but what is the culture of my family to remember that this is a great privilege and it's not given to me because I deserved it. It's not given to me because I was the best at it. It's given to me because my Lord is giving it to me to do alongside me and with me. Welcome to the Crossway Podcast, a show where we sit down with authors each week for thoughtful interviews about the Bible, theology, church history, and the Christian life. I'm Matt Tully, and today I'm talking with Adam Griffin. Adam serves as the lead pastor of Eastside Community Church in East Dallas, Texas, and previously served at the Village Church as a pastor. Adam is also the co-author, along with Matt Chandler, of Family Discipleship, Leading Your Home Through Time, Moments, and Milestones from Crossway. Today, Adam and I discuss what it looks like for parents to prioritize the important but mostly ordinary spiritual leadership of their families. He debunks common misconceptions about what family discipleship has to look like, highlights the importance of cultivating a culture of joy and fun in the home, and offers parents a simple framework for intentionally training their kids to view their lives through the lens of the gospel. Let's get started. Adam, thank you so much for joining me on the Crossway Podcast today. Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So how would you define family discipleship? Well, that's a great question. I think personally, I just define family discipleship as the important but mostly ordinary spiritual leadership of your home. And I can unpack that a lot with you and for you as well. But family discipleship is really, it's the the role that parents have as the uh, primary instrument and environment for raising kids to know Jesus Christ and to follow Him. Yeah, that's such a, a helpful, concise definition. And I think most of us would probably have an idea of why you're saying important, and we'll get into some of that more a little bit later. But the, the phrase that sticks out to me immediately is mostly ordinary. And I wonder if you could unpack that a little bit. Sure. I think uh, it, hopefully it demystifies family discipleship a little bit. Because it is so important, it can be intimidating to say, man, this is a child or human being. Their soul is on the line. Their eternity is what we're considering here. But mostly ordinary communicates that when you're discipling your kid, this is not that we're expecting to have some kind of superlative uh, levitating in the Holy Spirit moment every moment of the day that you guys are interacting but rather you're leveraging opportunities throughout every normal rhythm that you have in your life in order to teach your kids about Christ and what it means to follow him. So that could be, you know, what's ordinary for your family? Is it mealtimes? Is it watching TV together? Is it playing games? Is it playing sports outside? And so family discipleship is looking at the ordinary rhythms of your family and thinking about how are we raising kids to know and follow Jesus Christ in the midst of what's normal for our family. And that is really important and mostly ordinary. And at the same time, there are some, I don't want to deprive people of the knowledge that there are some superlatively amazing moments that you can have with your family in leading them into the Lord. Whether it's your kid uh, confessing Christ or coming to a conclusion on their own that was revealed to them by the Father, or whether it's just a really fun time to have as a family. I can think of even this week, uh, we were sitting outside my front yard, and I live in a very diverse neighborhood, and you may know it's Ramadan right now while we're talking, and there are a mm, lot of Muslim yeah. families in my neighborhood, and so they're out having Ramadan in the park across the street, and we're in our front yard doing family discipleship time where we're reading the Bible and singing together, and a storm came rolling in at the same time, and I just felt like it was 
they were just kind of the ingredients for a, a, a above average or a beyond ordinary moment of talking about what the Lord is doing in the world and how there are people who are not following him and what it means for us to follow him. But most of the time, it's not like that. Most of our family discipleship time is reading a story, talking about what we pr- want to pray about, singing a song, or maybe leveraging a question they have to talk about something with the Lord. And that's what I really mean by mostly ordinary is it's part of the normal rhythm for the family. Yeah, and I think that is so true that oftentimes when it comes to this topic and, and probably many other topics, we have a preconceived idea that can maybe discourage us from doing it. Uh, but sometimes that preconceived idea isn't actually correct. And so if we can if we can reframe how we think about it, it might actually make it easier for us to dig in and to be more consistent. So I guess I wonder along those lines, something I like to do occasionally with, with guests on the show is ask you to complete this sentence kind of in, in as many ways as you want to. Family discipleship is not fill in the blank. I think one of my favorite things to talk about when it comes to this is family discipleship is not a means by which we raise popular kids. And by that, and I think we may talk more about this here in a minute if we get the chance, because there's a lot to unpack there, but we are raising kids in an environment that is increasingly secularized, anti-Christian, post-Christian, however you want to say it. It's not widely accepted to be devoted to Christ with a 100% of your being heart, mind, and soul and believe all the things that the Bible teaches and still be super accepted in American society. In fact, the Bible's told us we will be hated for following Christ. So translating that in a family discipleship, it is not a way of raising kids who will be broadly admired by everyone. In fact, what we need to do in family discipleship is prepare kids to be potentially vilified, but certainly rejected because of what they believe and to be able to be uh, discerning in the midst of that what is true and what is not true in a world that's going to teach them there's a lot of truths. Uh, family discipleship is not, and this is another one, family discipleship is not kind of free form spiritual exploration where you're just letting kids decide for themselves what is true. It's a, a word that I think has become kind of a, a bad word in our culture, indoctrination. Family discipleship is indoctrination. It's teaching kids doctrine. It's teaching them what is true. It is not Hey kids, just let me know if you want to know what daddy and mommy believe and we'll teach you what other cultures believe. I just, if we believe this is true and we know this to be true, what the scripture says, then what a disservice we would do to our kids to not teach them the truth and say, let's let you figure out for yourself what is true. That's, that is unloving in every sense of the word. So family discipleship is not freeform spiritual exploration. It's also, and this is, I'll just, I could go all day, but I'll give you one more uh, family discipleship is not a means by which parents should hope to manipulate their kids to become the kids they wish they were. Or, in other words, to use the Bible to threaten kids into behaviors that we find more appealing. Like God doesn't love it when you do this. God doesn't love you. or God is not happy when you lie to mommy and daddy or when you uh, steal things. And we, we use the Bible so easily to create kind of a pharisaical, even hypocritical child whose heart can be far from the Lord, but whose behavior is expected to be perfect, which behavior is important, obedience is important, but in the scriptures, it's never driven out of intimidation, or if, if you don't want to face this consequence, you should do these right things. And so what we do in family discipleship is, yes, behavior and obedience is going to be addressed, that it comes from a gracious, loving parent because of a, we have a gracious, loving Heavenly Father who's called us to be obedient 
out of joy. Yeah, it seems like another way to say what you're what you're getting at is that our our ultimate goal with our kids is not just that they would do the right things, but that they would have a heart transformed by God that loves God, loves what he said to do, and then obey out of that. Absolutely right. Yeah. If family discipleship becomes something where it's, this is how I'm going to design the kids that I wish I had, then you're rejecting the kids that God has given you. And there will be, I have, I, I don't want to make any assumptions that this is like some kind of formula to create some perfect family. Kids will resist. Kids are persistently rebellious. Family discipleship is difficult. And yet at the same time, we cannot twist the words of God in order to get our way. You know, we want the Lord's will done. I want to jump back to something you said about indoctrination, how um, how that has kind of become a bad a bad word in our culture today, but actually that, that is what we're called to do as parents. How do you distinguish between good indoctrination, where we are not slow to tell our kids what we believe is true from God's Word, how do you distinguish that from maybe quote-unquote bad indoctrination, where our kids are kind of, their spiritual lives exist through ours, and you know, we don't allow them the space to, in some sense, make those truths their own. They kind of just are good at parroting back to us what we tell them. So, you know, do you know what I mean? How do we distinguish between those two things? Yeah, excellent. I think um, you know the scriptural example might be when Christ asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? He could easily tell them the answer of who he says that he is, but he's asking them questions. And then when Peter gives the correct answer that he's the Messiah, the Son of God, He's so excited. You see this kind of excited moment of, yes, and blessed are you, Peter, because a man did not tell you this. In other words, you're not just regurgitating an answer, but God the Father revealed this to you. And that's the moment we're all hoping for as parents is not just that they would be regurgitating and memorizing and therefore spouting off what we've told them. Although memorization is good and teaching them tenets of the faith, whether it's catechism or reading the scripture together, all that is good. But what we want is a genuine expression of faith that has been given them as a gift from the Holy Spirit. And so good indoctrination indoctrination is always leading in questions to see what is the Lord doing in the heart of my child and not assuring my child that they're going to be um, uh, better or manage sin better or their life better just because they've memorized a certain amount of tenets. And you and I as adults know this to be true, that there are truths of the scripture that we know are true, and yet sometimes it's we fail to experience or trust in those truths. And the same can be true for our kids. An indoctrination that gives them kind of pithy, cliche, proverbial answers from the scripture as if just memorizing them will will resolve our heart as opposed to pointing them to a relationship with God. And because we desire that relationship with God, we tell them uh, things that uh, we know they can believe, we know that they can even heartfelt, uh, they can behave and express before maybe there's a real heart fidelity, a real heart commitment. But what we want is those things, um, and analogously, we would talk about kindling that you stack up and then one day the Holy Spirit would light it on fire, or the biblical principle might be more like we're planting seeds and watering them, but we're praying that God gives them growth because we can't grow them. And so well, there is work to do to do as parents, but always understanding that indoctrination is counting on the Lord to do the work of salvation in our kid's heart. And anytime we're teaching our kids uh, one way of thinking uh, of things are true without exposing them to what we would also say is not true, then we're just setting ourselves up for disaster when they do meet a world that is full of other truths where that we've failed to teach them to discern and we seem 
maybe um, sheltered from uh, what the world might believe. But we want our kids to know what's true and what's not true. Yeah, yeah. So in your book, you put forward a framework, I think is what you call it, for family discipleship, uh, built around three key things. That's time, moments, and milestones. So I wonder if you could just briefly kind of summarize each one, and let's just start with the first one, time. What do you mean by that word? Yeah, when we say family discipleship time, uh, what we're talking about is set aside appointed times for your family to be talking about and living out the tenets of the gospel. And so that can be something like... um, we are going to tonight at dinner do this together. There's a plan in place. And we talk about implementing kind of consistency and planning and, and commitment to those times. Or it could be something like we're going to go uh, serve together at uh, this uh, soup kitchen this weekend. It's a time appointed that we're going to do it. And we see the Lord do that in Scripture. And so we want to see that in our families as well. For my family, and maybe the same is true for you, Matt, because you have young kids, Bedtime is our family discipleship time. Every day before our kids go to bed, we read the scripture together, we pray together, we um, we sing together, and we talk about the things of the Lord together. We bless our kids, and our kids know that's coming. It's it's appointed. With Chandler, who I wrote this book with, his family is a little bit older, so he has like set appointments with he and his son will go out and get breakfast together once a week and read the scripture together. He and his wife, or I'm sorry, his wife and his daughters will go out once a week and different stages, different families, it's going to fit differently. But time is basically those appointments that we're making with our family to talk about and act out the things of the gospel. Yeah, and that seems to be one of the main things that you emphasize uh, when you talk about that is that this this phase of, uh, or this part of family discipleship will often look different for different families, different kids, different stages of your family's life together. Uh, and I know for, for me with young kids, just like you, uh, sometimes it can feel difficult because, you know, kids are having a hard time paying attention and they're running around and, you know, they're just kind of, one kid is talking, one kid is crying. And so how, what word of encouragement would you offer to parents who maybe feel like I've tried to implement some kind of consistent time, intentional time together, but it just feels like there's always something that makes it not go so smoothly? Matt, that is a great question. And I think uh, uh, hopefully what comes across in the book over and over again is the encouragement that that is very, very normal. That it is not abnormal to have kids that are either resistant or it's difficult. Uh, it certainly is going to be harder at first. If you're introducing a new rhythm, it's always harder. The older your kids are and the newer it is, it can be very difficult. You're going to face extra resistance. But knowing kids are like that and expecting, lowering your expectations for yourself that it's not going to be your kids sitting around in a circle waiting for every drop of wisdom that's going to fall from your lips and they're going to just know it. Although the Lord can do things like that and he can certainly use moments like that in the life of a family to, to save a child or do something profound. Most of the time it might be accommodating for whoever your kids are. If your kids have special needs or if they're adopted or they're varying in ages or they're just hyperactive or very tired or mopey or happy, understanding that the Lord has created us as a great variety for a reason. The Lord loves the variety in the body of Christ and and loves children. And so looking at your own family and deciding, what's going to work? Is this going to have to be more active? Is this going to have to be... What I don't want is for family deception time to devolve into like yelling, spanking every night, you know? Uh, What I'd love to see is that there's a consistent and a commitment to, to trying and efforting, let it never be said of us that like we gave up before we gave it all, before we tried our best and, and let the Lord do with it as he wills. But 
I think your uh, question is such an encouragement to a family of realism to say it's not easy. And no one's saying this is going to be easy, but it can, it can be, it can be fun. It can be beautiful. But what we are saying is that it's worth it. It's important. And so we're going to do our best. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the next uh, kind of pillar of the framework that you mentioned is moments. And so how, how is moments different than time? Great. So moments, if time is kind of uh, planned and appointed, uh, moments are more like leveraging the, the spontaneous opportunities you have throughout the day or throughout the week uh, to, uh, to point towards Christ, to talk about the gospel. And these things, I mean, there's a million examples. They could be, um, in our book, we, we give some helpful tips on how to uh, leverage time by having prepared language, by things you might say in certain circumstances. So an example of that in my family might be uh, when one of my kids gets scared and I'd have younger kids, we point them to particular scriptures that we have prepared that are consistent that they know. Like uh, I'll say to one of my, I have three sons and I might say to them, Hey buddy, if God's got you, who can get you? And they'll say, nobody, dad. I'll say, that's right. And if, if God's for you, who can be against you? And they'll say, nobody, dad. I say, okay, well, who can separate you from the love of God? And they say, nobody. And so they know these phrases. We repeat them back. I don't know when that time's coming, but I'm prepared for it with scripture that I use to encourage my kids during that time. But they can also be more spontaneous than that. Like um, we took a, a walk as a family a couple nights ago. We were walking through a creek and just looking at toads and looking at spiders and seeing birds and their nests. And in those moments, we're talking about the variety of the creation, how the creation demonstrates to us our loving father and he takes care of even the birds. And I didn't say, I didn't prepare a Bible study. I didn't have like an outline that I was going to go through my kids. It's just, it's a family discipleship moment. It's a chance to remind my kids about what's true about the universe, true about them, true about their loving father. And I want to leverage those opportunities. And I think there are ways in the book, we talk about ways to be prepared for that and to be looking for that. Uh, But it is, it's much more spontaneous than a family discipleship time. Yeah, it strikes me that a key to that idea uh, is is really a mindset shift maybe for parents. It's less to do with preparation, although as you say, there there can be elements of that, but it's more of keeping an eye out, watching for moments and opportunities to make a connection to something that we know to be true uh, about God or about ourselves or about the gospel. Absolutely. Yes. So, so then the next... Uh, kind of big tenant uh, that you guys put out is milestones. What do you mean by milestones? Milestones are a, a, kind of like a more significant version of both, of both time and moments, because some of them are going to be more spontaneous. We talk about making and marking milestones, but milestones are, are making a big deal out of what God is doing in the life of the family and child. And so it can be a way of intentionally creating a milestone or making one we might talk about, like if you know they're going to graduate from high school or graduate from kindergarten or uh, whatever it might be, maybe they're, maybe your church practices confirmation or it's at their baptism. These are things that you know are going to be milestones for your family. It's adding pomp and circumstance, adding the handing off an heirloom. It's adding just a level of intentionality to really make a memorable milestone out of what God has done in your family. And then we also talk about marking milestones because there are some things that are less predictable that are still spiritually significant. And some of those often are the more, uh, because milestones aren't always these positive celebratory. We talk about uh, commemorating, not just celebrating, because it might be um, the loss of a loved one. It might be the loss of a brother or sister. It might be the loss of a parent 
or the loss of a grandfather or a cousin or whoever it might be. And those are significant moments to talk about who God is. And it's a milestone in the life of the family and the child. You know, anything that we celebrate or commemorate an anniversary of uh, is a version of a milestone. And so that might be the death of a loved one. It might be a birthday. It might be a, a, a baptism birthday. But it's also uh, one of the ways that I think it's really easy to leverage milestones is to leverage the way that we currently celebrate holidays in the life of a child to point to the gospel. So if that's a, it's a birthday for a kid, then let's think about how we're going to make this birthday a milestone of all God has done. Now we're going to verbalize it or write it or do some form of memorializing what's happened. But it's also in the way our family celebrates Christmas or Easter or Thanksgiving these are milestones of our year. They're, they're kind of landmark events. So how will we leverage those for the gospel of Jesus Christ? And there is a hundred ways to do that. We've listed some in the book to try to give some ideas. But to me, when you already have um, on your calendar these milestones, it's thinking about how will we use that in what we're trying to accomplish, which is to make disciples everywhere, including in our home. And whether that's inviting our neighbors into it as well, that's this opportunity to foster that. Milestones are kind of, if you if you think of your life as kind of a line graph, it's the highest points and the lowest points. And it's how is God at work in the hardest suffering we're going to face and how is God at work in the biggest celebrations we're going to have. And, and sometimes how can we create or foster those moments? Can we take our kids on a trip, take our kids on a pilgrimage, take them camping. Like how can we make these into milestones that remind them of what the Lord has done? Mm, yeah. So one of the other things that you suggest as a helpful exercise for families to consider is creating a family mission statement. And that just really stood out to me and and it struck me as a cool idea. So I, I wonder, give us an example of maybe your family's mission statement and then explain why you think that's been helpful for your family. Yeah. Yeah, our mission statement is posted on the the hallway in our in our home. And again, this is similar to the moments idea of fostering a, a shared language and creating a family discipleship culture within your home. So our mission statement is to know God, to make Him known, and to honor Him in all that we do. And so that also serves as kind of a litmus test for what we're going to do. So often uh, with kids my age, they're going, can we watch this or can we read this? And the mission statement helps guide those things for us. Well, there are a lot of shows that don't honor God. So should we watch this or shouldn't we? Is this, is this part of knowing God more? Is it part of making him known? Or is it part of honoring him in all that we do? And so if there's a book that we believe dishonors our God, we are not going to read it. And if there's a movie that we believe dishonors God, we're not going to watch it. And so it, it helps operate both as um, a guiding post for us, but also as just a unifying idea for our kids to know and, and yes, regurgitate, they probably don't have like, they're not wearing t-shirts or getting tattoos of this mission statement, but it is for us, uh, it defines what the Griffin household is going to be as opposed to other families. So again, if a family wants to do something or go see something or experiencing something and they have a different view than we do, we go, but the Griffin family tries to honor God in all that we do. And that's why we're not going to participate in fill in the blank. Uh, so it guides us like that. 
what practical advice would you offer to the person, the parent maybe listening right now who, who likes this idea, who would, would love to do that for their family, but they're not creative and they don't feel like they're good with words and they're kind of like, I don't, I don't even know how to start. I guess yeah. I could just copy yours, Adam, but you know, <laughs> I want to make my own. Well, Matt, Does you're killing ha- me because I almost included an appendix on how to make a family <laughs> mission statement and then we did not do it. And, but it was like right on the tip of kind of like the plan. Uh, we didn't do that in the book. I do give some examples and I kind of try to push towards the inspiration for it. I think what I always go back to is what are the main things in the scripture? What is the scripture calling you to be as a family? And so, yes, we're called to love one God. We're called to love all people. We're called to make disciples everywhere. We're called to an evangelistic mission. We're called to being uh, obedient and godly. And so uh, having led a church or been part of a church, maybe you guys have seen mission statements for those organizationally. I would just say, keep it simple but don't make it, uh, also keep it useful. Like if it just serves the purpose of, here's some pretty words we put on the wall, or here's some a project we did one day. You want it to be something that's actually going to guide your family a little bit, but it doesn't have to be a mile-long treatise on everything we're called to. We tried to just make it really simple and memorable. You know, know God, make Him known, and honor Him in all that we do. Because the, again, we felt like in the Griffin household, that would be helpful to remind our kids on why we're making the decisions we're making. But it could be just as simply some, some scripture that you pull and make it almost like a family life verse. I think one that comes immediately to mind is from Joshua that says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And right there, you could pull that in the context of that verse is in the midst of a culture that has a lot of idols and other gods. As for us, we're going to serve the Lord. And right there, you could throw that up. I mean, mm. you can buy that on a hundred coffee mugs right now. <laughs> you oh, go to Hobby right. Lobby. It's on half the stuff there. You could get that t-shirt. You could get that t-shirt and you could uh, post that up, put that on every kid. Uh, but yeah, I, the, leaning on the scripture and the truths of scripture and keeping it simple and useful. Yeah. So one of the other things I love about the book is that throughout it, you include quotes from scripture, but also quotes from prominent Christians from history uh, from today and from history, related to parenting and children. And one of those quotes is from Billy Graham. And I wonder if you could read that quote for us right now, and then I want to talk about it a little bit. Absolutely. This is a great quote. This is, Billy Graham said this, God has given you one of the greatest privileges imaginable, the privilege of helping shape the future of another human being. Someday, your children will no longer live with you, but what will be? their memories be? Will they only be of bickering or conflict, or will they also be of love and joy and happiness? Don't let your frustrations or worriness crowd out your love. So what was it about that quote that made you want to include it in the book? Well, well, a couple things. I love anytime somebody has described what we're writing about in a family discipleship in very simple terms, like Billy Graham does, where he calls it the greatest privilege imaginable. To me, that helps, again, bolster the definition that we used of important and mostly ordinary. But you think of this as the greatest privilege imaginable, again, puts us in the theological context. If it's not on you to accomplish the salvation of your kid's soul, but it is incredible that you've been invited into this. I love that word. It's a privilege. It hasn't been guaranteed to you. It's not a right. Everybody's not guaranteed to be a parent. And parents can be disqualified from the position of a disciple maker in their family through all sorts of various reasons. But that Billy Graham is pointing out 
to keep in mind in the midst of what can be very frustrating and the point of what can be very worrisome and what am I, what am I fostering, not just in the picture of what my kids have of me, but what is the culture of my family to remember that this is a great privilege and it's not give, it's not given to me because I deserved it. It's not given to me because I was the best at it. It's given to me because my Lord is giving it to me to do alongside me and with me. And so Billy Graham being just, you know, this incredibly gifted pastor, I felt like would lend some credence to that same idea of what we're writing about. That mm. someday there is a future day where our kids are not with us. So let's take every advantage of every moment while they are with us, understanding that's a great privilege. Well, and that was, I think that's something something that resonated with me as well is just that idea uh, that Graham seems to acknowledge and and be aware, as all parents are, of the challenges that come with parenting and that it can be a very stressful and tiring and frustrating thing at times. And yet I love that he he stresses that you know, we want to be rem- we want our children to remember our homes as places of love and joy and happiness. So I guess I wonder, can you comment on that? How important is love and joy and happiness, maybe even laughter, fun to these this broader task of family discipleship? That's a great question because in the midst of family discipleship and any family, we're talking about people who make mistakes, right? We're talking about imperfect people. So nobody's house is full of constant bliss and never a regret over a decision. But all of us have families, uh, whether it's a, a step family or blended family, or again, whatever version of family your kids are being raised in. Maybe they're being raised by grandparents or uncles or guardians or adopted with horrible pasts. We don't know. But what is our privilege? What is our opportunity here to point to what Christ points to? If his will is going to be done on earth as it is in heaven, What does his will look like in heaven? Is it not constant celebration about the fact that our greatest desire is realized in Jesus Christ, that the solution to every problem we can come up with has already been given us in our Savior, that the answer to every question we're going to face has already been answered in Jesus Christ? And so where our joy is going to be based is not just getting to celebrate uh, satisfaction in our preferences or getting what we want But seeking first his kingdom in our family means that even if our family is suffering, even if mom and dad are having to repent because they made a mistake or they lost their temper or for for whatever reason they are repenting to demonstrate to their kids what it looks like to be a broken human being who's trying to follow Christ, then it's an opportunity to find joy there. Happiness may be more rarely, but certainly joy because our victory is already found in Christ because we have union with our Savior. Jesus Christ lives in me and I live in him. And therefore, I can constantly celebrate that even in the valley of the shadow of death, he's not left me, he's with me. And so what I want my kids to remember from my household is not a house of parents who yelled and screamed until they got what they want. I don't want to be a house that was, yes, we we hold obedience very highly, but it's because of love that drives us and we are gracious with our mistakes and demonstrating to our kids what it looks like to be imperfect and trying to follow a perfect God. Yeah, it makes me think of this quote that I heard Ray Ortland say once. He said that oftentimes, our, I'm going to butcher it now, but oftentimes uh, love takes the form of enjoyment and how one of the best things we can give our kids and the best ways to show them our love for them is by enjoying them and having fun with them. 
And that uh, strikes me as that's, that is reflective of our Heavenly Father and the way that He loves us. That is so good. And remembering that every one of our kids is not the same. So what you just said is so good, Matt, because there are things to enjoy in each one of our individual kids without making them, why aren't you more sporty like this kid or more academic like that kid or more like your father or your mother in this way? But what do my kids enjoy that I can celebrate with them and encourage them in without being insulting or embarrassing? Mm. Yeah, and speak to the the parent who is maybe uh, married to someone who isn't a Christian. And, uh, you know, there's going to obviously be all kinds of challenges that come along with that, but especially if, if that non-Christian spouse is maybe even antagonistic to the gospel and, and resistant to that being taught in the home, what, what would you say to that person? That is a really good question. We talk about that a couple different places in the book, just about what it means to have you know, the, this important role of discipling your family and having a, a partner in your marriage who's just not on the same page or doesn't feel the same way. And while I would never say anything towards the way of, so just give up or resign yourself to it or work less towards it, I think all the more family discipleship is your opportunity to invite an unbelieving spouse into what you know to be true about your Savior. To be gracious, understanding that this is not something where the Lord has grabbed a hold of their heart yet, so being gentle in the way uh, Peter tells us to be gentle, giving a reason for the hope that we have, but also similar to a single parent, if you're a in, in some ways a spiritual single parent where you're doing this on your own, to invite your pastor, your church into this with you, that you would not feel like every burden is on your shoulders in this moment or that you're the only one praying for this, but share your hope for the salvation of your spouse as well, whether this is somebody that has wandered from the faith or rejected the faith or has never followed Christ, whatever version it is in your marriage, and every marriage is different, understand that the Lord remains the same, and that's who we want to point them to as much as we want to point your kids to them. And this is similar to what we'd say to anybody who has a, a prodigal child who's older and has rebelled and wants nothing to do with the Lord. It doesn't mean we, okay, well, we just give up on them. Now, I think we have the same response that the father has in the, in the parable of the prodigal son. We are anxiously waiting to see them return to the Lord, to walk repentantly. And when they do, no part of us will be ready to say, we told you so, or how dare you, or you owe me this for all the years of pain. It's going to be nothing but delight and celebration to say, praise God, you've finally seen the light. And that's what we're hoping for. Well, Adam, thank you so much for taking some time today to talk through this with us. And and yeah, I think give parents and families a framework for just thinking about this topic that can often seem so overwhelming and and distant and hard to reach. I think you've really helped to boil it down for us today. Well, thanks, Matt. I really appreciate uh, you having me on. I love to talk about this. So it was fun for me. That was Adam Griffin on ideas for parents when it comes to leading their children spiritually. For more, be sure to check out the book he co-authored with Matt Chandler, Family Discipleship, Leading Your Home Through Time, Moments, and Milestones. Available online or at your local Christian bookstore. For more interviews like this, subscribe to the Crossway Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode, would you consider leaving us a review? That really helps us spread the word about the show. Crossway is a not-for-profit Christian ministry that exists solely for the purpose of proclaiming the truth of God's word through publishing gospel-centered content. Visit us today at crossway.org.